Welcome back to Fintech Business Podcast. Frequent readers of the newsletter will know I've written quite a bit about the neobank space, going deep on companies like Vero, Moneylion, Dave, and Cash App. But so far, I haven't had the chance to have a guest on the show for, from a company in this space. So I'm particularly happy today to be sitting down in person with Stuart Saab, co-founder and CEO of Current, in their New York headquarters where they have a podcast studio. Stuart, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, how would you describe current people? You know, is it a neobank? Would you use that terminology? Well, thank you uh, for having me today, Jason. It's awesome uh, to be here with you. Um, it's a great question, neobank. I think uh, challenger bank, neobank, these uh, terms all came up over the last sort of 10 years. People were trying to, I guess, uh, define what was happening in the space, in the fintech space. Um, I, I liken it to like uh, maybe early 2000s where people were talking about internet businesses. <laughs> and then eventually all business is internet business, right? So um, much in the same way. So we are a U.S. Uh, uh, technology platform, um, a financial technology platform based here in the U.S. And so we're, I would say, broadly a U.S. fintech. And I would describe Current as a, uh, a fintech that uh, banks people without much money. And so that's really where, where, the, where the wedge has been. No, I, I really appreciate that. I mean, the um, when people talk about digital bank or digital banking, like isn't that just every financial services company? Uh, unless you're only branch-based and only serving people face-to-face, you have a digital component. So, so some of the terminology here eventually, uh, hopefully, needs to shift a little bit. For people who are less familiar, you mentioned lower lower income or not much money, how does your user base compare to some of the companies in the space that people might be more familiar with? So your Chime, your Vero, people who are using Cash App, is there a lot of overlap? Is it quite distinct from those audiences? Yeah, I, I think, um, well, obviously we, we're a bank for anyone, right? So anyone who wants affordable banking, we are there for them. And like you said, we're digital, so we're, we're all over the United States. We're not trying to exclude or, or be uh, will be too too specialized in that. Um, but we have largely catered to an 18 to 35 demographic. We also have team banking, so 13 to 18 as well. So we would, compared to, say, a Chime, skew a little younger to, uh, compared to them, mm-hmm. right? So our average age would be around 30, I think, theirs, and they would have to defend this. But I think it's around the early 40s for their average age. So demographic differentiation um, and when you think about that demographic, um, they consume media in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they look at their attention as a slightly different. Their demands for financial services are very different. And they can be sort of thin or no file through no fault of their own. They're in early stage of their work life. So um, that's where you know we may look similar uh, when I say people without much money, uh, meaning you're just getting going. Um, but at the same time, maybe slightly different in, 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 in who they are. Uh, compared to those names. So you're saying uh, I'm probably like a Chime demographic. I'm not a current <laughs> demographic. I, I, I had I installed TikTok on my phone because I feel like I have to as, as a former marketer and someone in the technology space broadly, but I can't say I spend a lot of time using that. So I guess I've aged out of, uh, of the current demo. I mean, speaking of media and media consumption habits, you know, I know that Current has done a lot of interesting and unique marketing activations, perhaps most notably the collaboration with Mr. Beast, um, which I think we talked about last time I was in New yep. York a year ago in this office. Uh, and I did not know who that was, so I had to look <laughs> it up. Uh, I'm just confirming my age. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how the company thinks about those kinds of marketing collaborations? You know, how, how does it 
sort of perform from a user acquisition perspective versus you know other uh, other channels, whether it's your classic you know Instagram ads or even I think you guys used to run like out of home you know subway billboard ads. It seems like it must be working since you decided to to continue um, continue in those channels. I'd just love to hear a little bit about the strategy there. Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, yeah, we've, we 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 have multiple marketing channels, multi-touch attribution, which is fair, you know a long-winded way of saying we have lots of different ways of um, approaching potential customers. <clears throat> when you talk about banking in general, we've completed payments and banking. Really, that's really what all of us are doing in, in fintech, at least at this uh, at least at this stage. Uh, and so, uh, considering a bank. Um, when you have a particular liquidity problem um, that is monetized through interchange, it takes a little while to come through that funnel. It's not like, oh, I have this burning thing where you know immediately I come through. And so you need long-form content, mm-hmm. right? So you need more, more shots on goal. So you need multiple frequencies uh, of seeing like that content and that value and also the brand in general. Um, and that needs to be across various channels. And so um, when it comes to, say, specifically Mr. Beast, Jimmy Donaldson, um, you know, he's a very talented YouTube star. Uh, well, actually, probably the biggest, I believe, at this point. Um, certainly wasn't when we first met him. Um, and we identified back in 2018, 2019, that there was this emerging uh, attention uh, differential between 18 and 26-year-olds, something like that, and the rest of the market. Um, and so they weren't watching TV in the same way, nonlinear. They were watching streaming. Um, and they were also just generally uh, consuming content in a completely different way. And we realized that, okay, firstly in fintech, because it's a long funnel, you need trust. And hopefully, you know, we are a trusted brand, but also trusted people to then basically sell your product for you. Um, and so he was one of those people with large reach and, 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 so, and certainly in that, in that remit of that demographic. Um, it's long form content. So, you know, people are watching for 45 minutes, an hour, just like a TV show. Um, and then so their attention will be there as well. And so when you talk about, say, Gen Zers, if I'm being more broad, um, you know, their attention is pulled in a lot of different ways. A lot, it's very different to, to us Gen Xers or even late stage millennials. And so they have commercial advertising fatigue. Um, they see through it fairly quickly or very quickly. Uh, they've just grown up in a completely digital world. Um, and so when it comes to products and, and espousing the, the value of those products, it just has to be done by other people. It's very, very hard for, for a company, other than some of the biggest, um, to, to, to directly sell your product and say, hey, there's all this value, and you sort of – you get three seconds in, they've already lost attention, right? And so, um, and so yeah, our partnerships with Jimmy uh, and, and many other influencers, that, you know, hundreds actually, and we became – or are the, the, the biggest influencer financial brand out there, at least in the U.S., with the biggest financial brand on TikTok um, and pretty big on Snapchat. So um, we've, we've found product market fit for that 18 to 26. We've got full fun on. It really works for us. Um, and look, it was a lot cheaper in 2018 <laughs> than it is now. Um, so, so, you know, and obviously as you build some of these stuff, we help build these stuff, right? You give them money and they create content and all this other stuff. And, of course, they can charge higher CPMs. And so... Um, so, so there's a bit of a, you know, sometimes the market can move away from you as well. I mean, customer acquisition costs are a major driver, a major expense for any consumer facing fintech, right? And the limited data we have specifically on sort of U.S. neobanks, so companies that are roughly comparable uh, to current, you know, Cash App 
purportedly has a very low CAC, $5, $10. There's some debate about that given the recent report from Hindenburg, people creating multiple accounts, et cetera. Obviously, they have the, the network effect of peer-to-peer payments that they can leverage. Um, you know, a company like Vero, uh, with the data we have from its call reports, you, know, you can see that they've spent dramatically on marketing. And as they've ratcheted that down, uh, they've seen customer acquisition slow. I mean, for current specifically in, in the customer segment you're working with, you know, you mentioned, you know, lower income, not a lot of money slash sort of earlier in their life cycle, younger, you know, 13, 18, 25, you know, monetizing through interchange has proven a bit of a difficult business model, again, from the data points we have, which in, in the U.S. are, are somewhat more limited, Um can you talk a little bit about you know how Current is thinking about this from a monetization product business model standpoint? You know the the key key phrase of the season is path to profitability. Um, I heard your co-founder Trevor speaking uh, at Empire recently, talking a little bit about how the technology core you've built enables some differentiation and some advantages here. So I'd love to hear a little bit about sort of how you're thinking about that path to profitability. What are the levers you're looking at pulling? Is it reducing expenses? Is it you know launching new products, expanding margin? How are you going to get there? Yeah, good question as well. And then I would you know the TLDR on that is all those things. To be honest, um, when it comes to interchange and some of the public market comps that you make, um, primacy through banking is rarely their primary business. Like when you talk about Cash App, it's a network. Viro should be lending. It's a bank. Um, <laughs> uh, it should be. Um, and so, and the, the, like you said, there's scant details around, around, around those things. And so ourselves and Chime, you know, are still private, uh, private companies. And so primacy is really, really important to us. And so um, the interchange model, I, I can confirm, works. <laughs> it's still alive and well if you are looking at getting that primary financial relationship um, with your customer. Um, so I think that's really important uh, to, to, to sort of remember. Remember, we're, we're conflating payments and banking in one, and that the, the, the liquidity that we're offering uh, very often is dragging people in. They're pulling them in because they're like, oh, well, this is really good. I'll, I'm willing to move my payroll, my paycheck to this to this neobank, this challenger bank, um, because I can get access to some of that, some proportional percentage of that in between paychecks, and then they sort of stay for the value. So we have 4% savings, we have budgeting, we have insights, we have team banking, as we already mentioned, if you've got a family. Remember the average age on current is something like 30 years old. Um, and we've got just the you know crypto trading and buy sell and all this other stuff, so family banking, et cetera. And so they sort of come for liquidity because that's solving a particular pain point, but they're sort of staying for, for the value. And I think that's an important sort of sort of um, important point to really remember about our business model. When you talk about 2022 to into 23, things have changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, things are different. Um, so we did, fa- you know, Trevor is right. We did focus, uh, obviously, uh, on our ma- margin expansion. We're now um, the uh, the on- only client with Visa Forward at the moment. I'm sure they're going to onboard a-, a ton more after us. And that means it's a cloud-based um, DPS model, meaning we do our own processing with them. So mm-hmm. a lot of our competitors would connect to a, uh, a third-party processor, and they pay a lot of money out of that. And so they're Galileo, Marketa, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I two C, and all these guys. And so they would honestly, they were great. 
you know, when we got up and running, they, they were fantastic. It took us seven years to build like comparable uh, and then I think exceeding technology uh, over over those third parties. And so that that enables margin expansion for us. Financial loss was a big thing in 2022. I'm sure you saw a bunch of um, stuff in the media. And so we focused on that as well. So really like keeping the money inside current like, as a business, that was really the focus. And then in 2023... Um, we have focused on um, uh, higher higher value, right? Higher LTV, which means better products, more products, more valuable products for our consumers, our customers, our members. And so we have focused on credit building and cash advance for those. Yeah, I mean, as, as a non-bank, you don't hold your customers' deposits. And, and as I understand it, if I'm remembering uh, your co-founder's comments, uh, at the conference, correctly, there's no there's no plan, there's no desire to pursue becoming a bank, uh, but it does impact the kinds of products that you can offer directly versus through partnerships, and it does impact the economics of those products. On the other hand, there's also been increasing regulatory scrutiny, uh, which I think is like my catchphrase of the year, um, of these you know banking as a service relationships. So whether it's you know, direct, uh, which I believe you work directly with Choice Bank, uh, or through middleware platforms, sort of better understanding, you know, uh, the kinds of due diligence, third-party risk management, KYC, BSA, et cetera, every other acronym. You know, are you thinking about Current's approach any differently today than when you founded the company seven-ish years ago? You know, if yes, why you know what has changed um yeah 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 it's um well short answer is not yet right but we do think about this a lot um and again trevor is right there's no immediate plans to look at like a banking license or anything like that and the reason why is as a you know a financial technology platform we want to focus on the software and we work with our issuing banks our partner banks to um, uh, to have their banking license and to do what they're good at, which is the regulatory and compliance relationship that they have, um, you know, with the, with with those bodies. Um, I think when it comes to banking licenses, there's other competitors that we've already mentioned that went mm-hmm. down that route. Um, banking licenses make sense when you're lending. When mm-hmm. you've got a big lending um, uh, operation and you need your cost of funds to go down, and it's going to provide like this amazing um, unit economic expansion, right? Um, although that may change given money markets and that, and, you know, just digital money, like it's changing, right? It's really changing right now, this whole landscape. Um, well, broadly. And I, and I think, you know, for us, we are going into lending now. Mm -hmm. And so there's no immediate need for us, but I could imagine in two or three years, um, uh, where we may reevaluate this, um, assuming massive success in, in that vector. When it comes to like, compliance and, and regulatory capture, that's always been there. We've always had to align with the issuing banks. And so they have their, their bank charter and they have requirements, minimum requirements, which they, they hold themselves to, but also any partners they hold to a very, very high standard. Because we have this technology layer, an abstraction layer that connects to multiple issuing banks, so we do have more than one, um, uh, you can imagine we're audited several times a year. We also have the visa audit. We've had an FDIC, you know, we've had all these uh, fed, federal audit when uh, MCB went public. And so we just, we're very used to dealing, uh, you know, in, in, in the compliance and regulatory space. In fact, maybe more so than even a bank on its own because we have multiple relationships. So I don't think anything really changed for us uh, yet. Um, and I also think the landscape is probably harder 
um, mm-hmm. for for younger fintech startups because you know we we joined we started in in an era where it was like everyone was like what is fintech what's going on you know what what's happening uh, and so now you know regulatory bodies uh, the you know the, the the VC industry also didn't understand what was happening and so now everyone's kind of getting it it's like oh banking is this big incumbent industry that has really a low NPS score and it's fractured and it needs fixing and it should be for everyone and all that that makes sense right let's let the, the tech you know the tech people in. Um, but if you're if you're a younger startup now, if the door is kind of closing on mm-hmm. some of these some of these things, because the cost of compliance, the cost of regulatory capture is really really high uh, going forward, and just the the sort of capital requirements. Mm-hmm. I mean, my understanding is that um, you know a lot of banks that you know are in the space of doing these partner programs, you know, not only is their initial due diligence. Um, you know, third-party risk review more intensive than maybe it was 18 months ago. But they may also not want to look at a startup that, you know, only has raised one or two million. Uh, or they may not want to talk to, uh, you know, a pre-product startup at all. So the number of banks that are willing to work with those companies at the earliest stages, my sense is that 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 is contracting. I mean, something you mentioned that I want to follow up on is that, you know, you've built much or all of Current's technology in-house yourself rather than relying on third-party providers for things like issuing, et cetera. Can you talk a little bit more about what this enables you to do, whether it's feature-wise or cost savings-wise, um, versus using you know those sort of standard third parties that a lot of other companies in the space use? Yeah, it's um, well. I would say our initial. Uh, like we sound way smarter than we are. Like we are, right? So uh, Trevor and I started in 2015. There was just no option. So. Um, Marketo and Synapse and all these third parties were didn't exist. They were just beginning as well, and so there was only one sort of success story. And it was Bank Simple, if you remember those and mm-hmm. those guys. And so Chime was around, um, you know. Uh, and so we were looking, we were looking at the market, and we knew the problem we wanted to solve, but we sort of we didn't see a clean path because both of us were not from retail banking. So we we knew enough to be dangerous because we were in banking different sorts, but we. Did, we didn't really know the, the, the sort of got you know this green path, and so we did the natural thing you know that both of us are, are builders and we're like okay we're gonna have to build this and so we went on this journey uh, you know it's been a long journey and a hot, and a tough journey I certainly wouldn't recommend you know you wouldn't want to do it again um, but now we have this asset we have this amazing backend that's built um, cloud based you know processing with with Visa Forward. Um, we have all our microservices around money movement. We have the ledger of record. Um, and so that provides, quite frankly, amazing cost synergies for us, ex-banking. Obviously, we have to pay our issuing banks. Um, so there's margin expansion there. And then there's just pure control and innovation around the product, but also the process and experience of, of, of everything. So if you think about Amex, of course, they have their own network, which provides another layer of control and excitement. But um, if you think about that as an experience, we're sort of on that track, we're on that track, building towards like this fully functioning, uh, fully controllable experience um, of banking for for the majority of Americans. And so for us, that has been, you know, we got one ledger now for debit and credit. Mm-hmm. Some of those, in fact, many of those processes that we were talking about only have debit, right? And so you have to now have two ledgers and you have two KYC forms and you have mm-hmm. this sort of wonky disjointed experience for the consumer of which you then have to like reckon it sounds horrible right and so we don't have that problem so even just for one if you have to take away one thing that we that we're able to do is our credit building product that's coming out in in q2 
so very soon. And it's one ledger. Mm-hmm. We got one ledger for credit and one ledger for debit. We obviously have separate bins behind and all the regulatory stuff, but it makes it just so much easier for us. So time to market on impactful, useful products for our consumers, our members, um, it's just much higher, much higher velocity. If you look at us and our, and our uh, competitors, you can just see like we're delivering products still, right? It's still coming out because we're, we're able to still do that. No, definitely um, sympathize with the experience of building fintech products in 2013, <laughs> yes. 2014, 2015. Um, I was working in the space at the time and yeah, the company I was at built much of it internally because you didn't have the kinds of you know, primitives or service providers today that are tackling these kinds of problems, whether it's, you know, loan origination, loan management system, not that not that nothing existed in that space, but it wasn't um, particularly modern or agile the way that a lot of the solutions that we've been discussing now are. Um, so definitely, definitely appreciate that. Um, I want to ask a slightly different question, which is you mentioned some of the crypto capabilities that you have now around trading or buying and selling at one point, um, Current was thinking about or planning to launch a DeFi sort of savings feature, I believe, using Compound or the Compound Protocol. Obviously, a lot has happened in crypto in the last, whatever, 12, 18 months. Um, is something like that still on the roadmap or is that kind of shell for now given you know, a lot of banks reluctant to touch it, you know, increased regulatory scrutiny, et cetera? I don't think the um, the last point you, uh, the last point you make I don't think are the overwhelming uh, pressure. Um, I think our issuing banks are totally understandable, but the way we do it, with, the way we partner with with the people we put with, um, has meant that we still have our buy sell. We're very proud of that product. I think when it comes to DeFi and the yield specifically, and I'm not this is nothing against Compound or anyone else we're working with, but we just saw more broadly in the market like questioning where that yield was coming from, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, we thought it was prudent. We were never we never had customer funds. We had our own treasury balance in there, and then we would give uh, an effective yield. We felt that that firewall at that stage of maturity of that industry meant was, was responsible, mm-hmm. that it, and it, it ended up being the right thing. <laughs> so, so, so we've always looked after the customer first to give them the maximum amount of value with the least amount of risk. And so we took some of the you know I was a trader for many years in Morgan Stanley and, and all these other places. So we felt comfortable doing that. Um, we pulled back um, uh, in the DeFi space from a balance sheet point of view for all the right reasons, I think. Um, what do I think about the space um, more broadly is I think it needs another investment wave. Um, I think crypto and, and DeFi, it, it, we didn't hit network scale. We didn't hit UX, UI. You know, you look at chat GPT-3, right? It's, you know, it's, it's a web uh, plugin, basically. A web API, but they've they've just managed to 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 crush on user user acceptance, right? Because it's very easy for people to interact with that. I think crypto DeFi especially um, really failed <laughs> its first iteration, and so we didn't get to network. We didn't get to network criticality, uh, and we didn't we didn't you know as and we as as in the industry uh, d- didn't get to uh, uh, didn't get to innovation quick enough. And I think it will happen over time. I still I'm still a massive billion. You know I've been in Bitcoin for. 10 years, 11, no, 12 years. <laughs> and you didn't retire. No, I didn't retire, nor did Trevor, by the way. He was also the guy who gave me the white paper in 2011 um, and, uh, and also the uh, ICO of Ethereum, um, which may be a security. We'll find out. Um, <laughs> so, so, so these things, I think it needs another innovation wave. 
uh, it needs more money, another investment wave. And I think over the next three to five years, we'll, we'll start to get to something more real. I think the innovation around DeFi slash Web3 is probably identity or some kind of like collaboration with a with a bank or a neobank. There's something there. I, we, we don't really know. So yeah, so I think in terms of like looking after our customers who do not have much money, we should not be risking any of this stuff for them. And so we've just been prudent. But I do think there is still a future out there um, in the medium term. Well, and, I mean, part of the appeal of a lot of those products was, you know, they're relatively high yield versus mm-hmm. if we're looking at, you know, 2019 or pre-pandemic, um, or 2020, uh, versus, you know, 0% interest rate if you had your money at Chase or wherever. And, and now, like, that has flipped, right? At least the last time I looked at some of the DeFi yields, they were maybe 2%, 3%. And you can go open an Apple savings account on your phone for, you know, 4.15. So some of the some of the actual, you know, just raw economic appeal of it has, at least at the moment, been a bit. Um, you mentioned a couple times building credit products. What can you share with us about sort of, you know, what you have built and, and sort of the timeline on that? Yeah. Um, so I think... Well, just onto your other point, yeah, we we have four percent interest. It was backed by the treasury thing, but then we flipped to to traditional rails, and we still offer four percent interest. To your exact point, and so you know, yeah, it, it's it's where the market. And you see this, by the way, in a lot of Web three companies that you you see the uh, they've all changed to their treasury management. Treasury now. management, they've all changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, we we were <laughs> we were part of that pack. Um, in terms of like product roadmap and credit, um, this is new for us. Right, so we've got all this infrastructure, and you know it all looks the same from from if you stand really far back. But when it comes to credit, credit building, lending, the um, standards, uh, as you know, or your history, I'm, I'm I'm preaching to the choir here. But uh, the 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 bar for um, regulation, mm-hmm. the bar for compliance, and also just there's a lot more rules, um, quite rightly so. And so whilst we may technically have a lot of the things are right. Um, and we have built risk models over the years because we have interest, you know, fee-free overdraft and things like that. Um, it, 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 we're sort of going down this path, which is a little unknown. So we've had to hire some people who have done this before, um, which has been great, um, and, and added to the team. So that's very exciting in a you know a fairly depressed market. We've still hired in those areas, um, and so those products coming out, credit building, and so one ledger, one balance. Um, being basically from a consumer point of view, the feeling that we wanted to attain or will attain, I should be more positive <laughs> on our product launch, the feeling we'll attain is credit building, a checking account that builds credit. That's what the feeling that we want, right? We want to give that feeling. We want to, you know, simplify, decomplexify, if that's a word it is now, um, the experience and also the uh, collateral that is traditionally needed for a secure card. You need to like fork over like hundreds of dollars that you may not have or want to tie up to build that credit. And so you do not have to do that with the um, current build card. So so that's, that's you know, this quarter. So watch out for that. Um, you know, um, download, get it, let us know how that goes. And then um, cash advance product. Um, they're fairly traditional. There's other people doing it. You mentioned some of the names at the beginning of this uh, this chat. So um, we feel like there is a bridging that of, of between paychecks that could be done more broadly, actually a bigger amount, right? And so for the for, for certain people, and so we wanted to broaden um, liquidity access in a higher inflation environment like 
consumers, unfortunately, high high inflation is extreme. And if you look at like real inflation versus sort of reported, and I'm sure we're going to keep getting this this whole decade, it's like it's only 8% or it's only 6%, but it's really like 10 <laughs> And so that unfairly and over-indexes unfairly to people without much money because it's in goods and services and like transportation, things like that, right? It's, re- it's rarely um, for people who, who, you know, who have a lot of money. And so um, being, getting access to liquidity, unlocking that as cheaply and as safely as possible is what we're all about. So that's, that's where we've been focused. And then ultimately, broadening out lending and maybe uh, unsecured credit card is so, sort of like the holy grail of, of, um, of, of products. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to risk manage. Um, these things are cyclical. We haven't had a consumer uh, credit crunch yet or consumer credit cycle yet. And so we just we're looking at the market, seeing high inflation. We haven't had this credit crunch. So we were like, okay, let's sequence this where you build credit first, and we'll do some safe cash advances second. Let's see how the market goes, and then maybe get into the unsecured uh, product sometime in early twenty four. That's kind of uh, you know the, the the roadmap that we're thinking. I mean, it's great to see companies trying to innovate in the secured card space. I mean, it's been a while since I did a deep dive on sort of like the classic version of the secured card where you're actually putting down a deposit, generally like 100% of the line that's going to be available. I mean, a whole host of reasons why that product like kind of doesn't work. You know, the issuers tend not to actually put marketing money behind it because the revenue from it is very low. Uh, They tend to have, you know, fairly high fees as a percent of what the credit line is. Obviously, like Card Act reigned in some of that. Um, and, you know, if you're lower income and you have to come up with 500 or or 1000 bucks to open that secured card, you know, it's, it's not solving your liquidity problem and, and actually might be exacerbating your liquidity problem. Absolutely. And so it's like, you know, most major issuers have a, a card product like that, um, you know, I don't know if it's uh, to please regulators by saying that they have it available. They don't market it. It doesn't really solve a problem for most consumers, you know, except for maybe a narrow slice who are no file and they're like, okay, I know I need to build credit. I have cash, so this works for me. But for most people who are in that sort of thin file or um, you know, have had problems in the past and are looking to rebuild and are cash constrained, it's really – it's a very poor solution for the problem that those people have. So I'm, I'm glad to see people in this space sort of working on novel ways to sort of address credit building for, for a broader audience. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's, it's, you, you've just sort of enunciated all the problems that we try to knock down, and they're not easy. And it goes back to the tech stack. You asked about where, where the product innovation you know, could come from. It's that um, – and so we've been, been able to build and deliver a product that knocks down – a lot of those problems, like you said, this is normally a, a very thin FICO range that is like a 620 to 660 or whatever, you know. It's like, hey, get it to 640 and you get a, you know, a good credit card. And so our product is broad, broad base, you know, sub 640, anyone. Anyone can, can sign up, no credit check, uh, no bank, no balance, you know. Uh, and so uh, no, ba- no, no, uh, no, no $500 balance that you have to fork out and never see again. You can still use it. So... We think we've come up with magic, um, so I'm very excited about Q2. All right. Well, I will have to keep my eyes out for when that launches. Stuart, unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. I will let you get back to work. Um, definitely appreciate you taking the time. For listeners who want to learn more about Current or get in touch with somebody here, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm, uh, 
I'm uh, I'm on Twitter as uh, at Sob for, for, for now. <laughs> for now, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Uh, on Twitter at Sob Stu, you can go and follow me and, and, and sort of tag me on there. Um, and yeah, of course, uh, um, we're always here at Current. You can you, you can always uh, get us here. All right, thank you so much. 